Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site, covering, of course, your Arizona Cardinals. Uh, with me in episode 503, it's our review show, uh, is Seth Cox from RevengeOfTheBirds.com, uh, Arizona Cardinals site for SB Nation, and also one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast as the bowl season is wrapping up and we hit the off season. Uh, in the NFL, now is as good a time as any to jump on and start listening to that show. Um, the regular shows, the free shows, and, and even get the bonus content as that comes out. $2 a month for the extra show, the bonus show that they do. And then $4 a month gets you also the premium written content that they add as well, which is, that's really good content um, this off season, especially when we hit an off season like this where the Cardinals are going to be you know, heavy player, big players in this year's draft, but that's not what that show is about. We're recording on a Tuesday night after the Cardinals. Uh, I, I said if there was going to be a game where they'd F around and win, it would be against the Eagles, and lo and behold, they f around, and they won handily. This was not a fluky win. This was a 35-31 game where the Cardinals beat the Philadelphia Eagles on the road, and it was a game in which they were down... <laughs> they were down 15 points at halftime and yeah it, it should have been they they played and got the got the comeback win but they dominated offensively from start to finish it was it was something we have like the 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 Cowboys game was surprising this one was shocking this one was shocking because it's against the the NFC champions now we 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 detailed how the Eagles had struggled defensively, but the Cardinals did something amazing in the fact they mitigated their problems on defense by never giving them the ball. Almost forty minutes of time of possession, they just simply, absolutely demoralized that Philly defense. Yeah, that was something that you and I discussed and and we knew that was had to be the game plan uh if they were gonna have a chance to win this game i don't think you and i in our wildest dreams could have seen it going as effectively as it did though 
Oh no! Like the entire time, I thought best case scenario would be a competitive blowout. Like I, I thought thirty-seven twenty-four. You know, uh, Glenn Irby over at Eagles Wire said forty-one thirty-one. The belief was that the Eagles were going to do whatever they want to def- offensively, and that and, the Cardinals would be, kind of keep pace. Yeah, and to be fair, for the most part, they did. I mean, let's be honest they 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 really didn't struggle to move the ball. Um, when they had the ball, but the Cardinals did a couple of things. One, obviously, you look at it, the Eagles had seven drives. Um, they punted twice. And ironically, they punted the first possession of of each punt. You know, obviously to start the game and then um to start the second half in the third quarter when they got the ball back for the first time. And those were kind of just enough. The Cardinals didn't punt at all. Again, not some a, a sentiment we would ever have expected <laughs> to, to whisper on this show. But, I mean, to see it work, right, you had the Eagles go three and out, and the Cardinals go 64 yards in – seven almost eight minutes of game time and then they kick a field goal and and they they ran into issues is that and i wrote about this right after the first half is that while the score was bad (laughs) the score was bad at halftime they the cardinals had completely their offensive perform they were dominating but they got behind the six um on that first drive they had the turnover on the second drive it's it, it's just they they shot themselves in the foot um on three different well, possessions and and so there was a there was something and and I have not fact checked this and quite frankly I'm not going to fact check this but this is this was put in uh the, the revenge of the birds comment section um and and we're we're going to discuss the need, you know, a little later probably to in the, in this episode. But when when Kyler Murray has played with DeAndre Hopkins, and, and again, I haven't fact checked this or anything, so if this is way off, I apologize. But uh, Kyler Murray's played thirty one games with DeAndre Hopkins, thirty two games without DeAndre Hopkins in his career. And there's and there's really two numbers that stand out. Okay. Uh, just under 7,500 passing yards in those 32 games uh, without DeAndre Hopkins. Just just over 76.50 with DeAndre Hopkins. So 150, 160 yards more passing in in one less game. So not a huge number, right? Like that's not that's not crazy. The crazy number is, and it and it really showed up in the first half. But the crazy number is 37 touchdowns in 32 games without DeAndre Hopkins. 53 touchdowns in 31 games with DeAndre Hopkins. And that got me thinking just about Kyler's stats in general. And one of the things that, you know, people bring up is that he's, you know, he's, he doesn't throw a lot of touchdowns. Now, you and I have, logically explain that you know he does rush for a number of touchdowns and they're able to run the ball effectively uh you know james connor 
before that it was who Kenyon Drake or who or whoever it was back in the day, uh, along with Kyler run, rushing for 10 or more touchdowns, you know, those things happening. But then I was thinking about it. Doesn't that kind of say a lot about Kyler, the passer in that situation, when you're saying like, there's really no, there's really no difference between the twenties with who his his wide receivers are. He's he's gonna be productive in between the twenties. It's just that when they don't have the guy that commands the attention, when they don't have a Larry Fitzgerald kind of turning back the clock in twenty nineteen, right? And then obviously the the two excellent excellent seasons with with DeAndre Hopkins, uh, it it makes things. And I mean, kind of a duh sentiment to have, but it makes things more difficult, right? When you get in the red zone, like who is going to score score the touchdowns? And you go back, you know, in in uh, 2019, his rookie year, David Johnson four receiving touchdowns, Larry Fitzgerald four, Christian Kirk three, um, you know, and then and then you go to that 2020 season. And, you know, he's starting to become one of the better guys in the NFL. And it's not just DeAndre, right? It's not just Hopkins scoring six. But Christian Kirk, career high at the time, six. Uh, Chase Edmonds, four. Dan Arnold, four. Like, all of a sudden, I mean, that's 20 touchdowns between four players right there. Uh, and then, obviously, the 2021 season, we know how that was going and how effective that was going before uh before the injuries and, and, and kind of the falling off the cliff happened. But I mean, DeAndre had eight and Christian had five. And then James Conner had had three. Zach Ertz had three. AJ Green had three. Anton Wesley had three. But remember, Zach Ertz had 15 rushing touchdowns that season. James uh, Conner, not Zach Ertz. Yeah, sorry. James Conner. James Conner had 15 rushing touchdowns that season. You know, the season before, Kyler Murray had 11, Kenyon Drake had 10. So, like, when you're getting 20 touchdowns uh, rushing from two players, which they did in back-to-back seasons, uh, 20 or more, you know, uh, like I said, James Conner, 15, Kyler Murray, 5 in 2021, and then 10 and 11, like, all of a sudden you don't need to throw for touchdowns yeah. as well, right? Because you're scoring, so it's not a big deal. Oh, right, but, and, and, and something that I people under, they don't look at, they, they overlook this, is the fact that if you have a co- quarterback of his caliber, he's also, it, it, it lends itself to the type of player, of an unselfish player he is, that he, that, he has no he he gives he doesn't give two flips about whether they get the end zone whether he throws for a touchdown or whether they run for attention he just wants the touchdown he wants the right. touchdown well and and you look at their offensive statistics and and again we can take 2019 out of it he was a rookie but but it kind of goes to what i'm saying 25th in passing touchdowns but 7th in rushing again 7th in the NFL in rushing in 2019 when they were ostensibly not a good team right and then 2020, you've got you you move up slightly, you go to 13, and you go to fourth in rushing touchdowns. Again, that's that's insane, right? Like, 
you're, you're still kind of working out the kinks. You're a 500 team, but like you're that good. And then, and then you get to 12th and third. And so like, it was never, it's never like they were bad at scoring touchdowns. It's just that they do it. They, they do a lot of it on the ground. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and that's just, like you said, for a quarterback, it's not as sexy. It's well, not. And, but that's where in this game, that's where this was exciting because now in the last two games, he's got five touchdown passes. Um, he, in, in that, in, in the second half in particular, 13 of 14, uh, passing for over 130, I think it was 133 yards and all three touchdowns. He had more touchdowns than incompletions in the second half. He was rolling. And even in the first half, like there was so much to like offensively. There was so much just, to like. Yeah, they just didn't finish. <laughs> they didn't finish early on. And I will say this, there was, I did my studs and duds articles, uh, like like kind of we do, you do winners and losers, I do studs and duds, and there, there were no duds. There were no duds because the, the defense wasn't on the field long enough for anyone to have a bad performance. And offensively, they just they had they had really good performances. Kyler, Kyler played like a stud. Connor was fantastic. Um, you got Michael Wilson bouncing back. Trey McGride was good. Greg Dortch was fantastic. Michael Carter stepped up and, and had a really good game. And you, you look at how the playing time goes. And you know, Mar Demarcado barely played. But what the that playing time that indicated two things. One, they were not they were on schedule offensively because DeMarcado plays as a third down back. He comes in for those clear passing downs. And so if he's only getting nine snaps out of their seventy six, that means they were on schedule. They were not they were not in panic mode, even though like in the first half, you know, they got down, you know, multiple scores. They didn't they, they didn't panic. They were still yeah, they were still kind of just running the ball and, and it like, was I, and I love what I love about the the end of the game or the actually it's more than anything it was the it was the it was the comments by Jonathan Gannon and I, and I will say this I was shocked by this by the by the onside kick but and, and I thought maybe initially that it was my brother my son-in-law in fact say like, hey did, did they do that so that they would have time I'm like ah they was probably just a, they had a look and they had a surprise no 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 my son-in-law was completely right Gannon after the game explained the strategic nature of that so they 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 saw it as one of two things they either get the ball back go up to you know score the winning score um and and take care of him thin air or they gave them a short field, and they said he trusted his defense to force a field goal, and then they would have time. And, and this is where Gannon is talking, and we're going to talk more about this later. Um, Gannon has become a big Kyler Murray fan. He's treating Kyler like, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Like, Andy retreats Patrick Mahomes. You're like, just get the ball in his hand, and they're going to let him do his thing. And that is, the, you know, he oh he's looking like that franchise guy his numbers weren't eye-popping but he had control of everything they looked fantastic it was just the offense was just so so good and well here let me let me give you something crazy about that last drive they didn't get to third down once they were never in a third down scenario which is kind of baffling with how this offense has gone almost all season right like they've 
they seemingly always put themselves in, in and, and and it's not that it's third and long, but they've they've seemingly always put themselves in a position where it seemed like ah, oh, it's third and you know third and six. All right, do you go for all of it or do you get it to fourth and two, fourth and one? And we know how bad they are going for it on fourth down, right? So, like, what do you do? And and like you said, it wasn't. It wasn't eye-popping numbers. Now the last drive was eye-popping. Let's be honest, that was that was spectacular. But it was it was the fact that like you get the ball, it's first and ten. You run the ball, maybe inexplicably, but I think they were trying to get to the two-minute warning. Like I, that's what I kind of took it as, is that they got it to two o four, and then they snapped the ball again. And they were like, okay, we're going to get this to the two-minute warning and then kind of figure everything out on the other side. And they just happened to get a 12-yard pass to Rondell Moore. But, you know, first and 10, second and nine, first and 10, second and four, first and 10, first and five, and then, you know, second and goal, first and first and five from the five, so first and goal, second and goal. Like, that's just, like you said, that's, that is a franchise-esque type of drive that's not where where you're never in fourth and and games right there was they weren't they weren't in desperation like like against houston like when right. they were when that that drive when they were trying to come back and get get the winning drive against houston and they were their backs were against the wall and they were you know he was he was chucking hopefully hopefully we, something happens this was this was control they were under control and, and the the trust and here's the question here's the question i have is this is it's kind of what I wanted to do. So, was the win a good thing? Now we're going to talk about the draft situation. Um, I believe. Now we're going to lament. Maybe, maybe we lose out on Marvin Harrison Jr. However, I you can't met. So this is definitely not an analytic thing. And this is not something from analytics. This is an intangible football th- thing. How you're getting your franchise quarterback looking like a franchise quarterback, and you have a big time win at the end of the season in which it wasn't a fluky win. This that that's the thing. This was not a game where it was fluky, and they they, they this is a game they dominated from start to finish offensively, and overcame adversity in the first half, and. The value of this type of win, in, in terms of the belief system that the locker room has, I can't. I I don't know if you can put a price or a a quantitative value on that. It re, it's reminiscent to me of the way the Cardinals played at the end of 2013 for that first season. Bruce Harris, they finally started believing. Now, they are not on the same level as that team, but that's the sort of win when you have that sort of performance that really kind of propels the belief into the off season. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to you feel like you've made the right decision. And, and there are two, that's a twofold thing for this, for this franchise right now. And obviously it's simple, right? We, we don't know if they've made the right decision. We won't know if they've made the right decision for at least, next year and you know you whether it, i mean you look at the philadelphia eagles like there's genuine questions about whether they may they've made the right decision with nick sirianni and and you know jalen hurts and and all of these things 
And and so when you look at it, you're you're looking for we want to see that we're headed in the right direction. We do this, you know, we do the reacts polls every week. And and it's obviously always better after a win, right? Like the belief in the direction of the team is always, always better um, after a win. But that being said, um, when you look at it and you see that this team had lost a game to the Chicago Bears, that a lot of fans, you and I included, thought was a winnable game. And then you kind of go through the season and you look at the, you know, you look at the weeks where where it was bad, right? And and the weeks that it was bad, Houston, after the, or sorry, LA, after the LA loss, it, you know, it, it was the lowest point in the season in terms of belief in the direction of the team. But then, man, the next week, whoo, that thing spiked up real quick, right? Because you beat Pittsburgh handily on the road. You had a slight dip after San Francisco, but I mean, is anybody really surprised by that, right? Like nobody was expecting to beat that. But then that that loss to the Bears, that loss to the Bears, it really was kind of the uh maybe they're just not maybe this isn't right. Maybe maybe Gannon's not the right guy or his overall belief in Kyler is is not the right thing. And and then you come out and win this, and we haven't, you know, we haven't got the results this week. We'll get those at the end of the week. But and they were at sixty nine percent confident in the direction the team was headed. You know, going into this game, I'm gonna guess. I'll wager it's gonna be in the eighties at least, if not kissing the nineties, because that's a that's a season defining win. And and people can make fun of that and go. Oh yeah, you're a four and twelve team. Of course, that's season defining. But you know, you and I have talked about this. Tyler's won as many games this year as he did last year. He's three and four. He was three and eight last year, and what most people considered a down season for him, right? Like a down season. Sixty six percent completion percentage, just under twenty four hundred yards, fourteen touchdowns, seven interceptions. Um, you know, rushing numbers were good. Things like that, right? Like all of that, and people are like, "Oh, he had a he he had a bad year, you know, a bad season." Um, and, and then you look at this year, and, and he's on much better pace, but he's already won three games. And as much as people hate the idea that that quarterback wins or or yeah, QB wins is a is a, is a stat, it it is because it it changes how people feel about a player objectively you're always going to have the Kirk Cousins and Justin Herberts right like you're always going to have those guys who are the you know the the Kirk Cousins who all he does is win win and put up massive numbers and everybody wants to replace them and then you're going to have the Justin Herbert who seems to lose a lot and puts up massive numbers you're, you're going to have those guys but but for the most part if you don't win as a quarterback people don't believe in you or or think that you're the guy they want to find the guy and so if the cardinals end up going three and five or god forbid four and four and then we can look back right too and we can go oh houston uh should have won should have won that game right giants (laughs) right well i'm just talking about the kyler wins Uh, or and you're saying like man they could have been 
five and three with Kyler, you know, five and three, or, or if they, if the defense does anything right against Chicago early, they could have been six and two with like, then there's really no question. But even, even with this team, with this roster, three and five, you know, saying that they lose next week, three and five, changing the perception, winning games over again, let's not be unrealistic. A, a, a bad seven and nine Falcons team, how they're seven and nine, Jess and I cannot figure out, you know, <laughs> a, a bad nine win Steelers team. And let's be honest, not a great 11 and who says that, right? But not a great 11 win Philly team, but the teams that they beat that Kyler has beat are 20, they have 27 wins. Like that's, that's super impressive, man. Like for a team that everybody wants to move on from the guy because he doesn't win enough. But without him, the last two seasons you've won <laughs> two games. Oh my gosh! Oh my and gosh. now, and now, you know, and again, you can say what you want about last season, but this season to come out win three games with this roster. And by the way, he's got two fourth quarter comebacks and two game winning yes. drives this yes. season. That is that. That's more than anything else. That's those are two things that you can hang your head that that Jonathan Gannon is starting to believe that he's the guy and, and Gannon already believed in him, but now we're seeing it again. So in two of the three wins, they rallied. And not only that, but Kyler, not only they, they had to rally back from significantly down in the first half. They came back from two scores down. Um, the, the Falcons game, they had the, they had the clutch, you know, last drive there and they did it again. They, they caught, caught up against Philly gave up a go-ahead score, and then came down and got the winning score. It's just... Now, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this, is how much... Because this is this is where Cardinals fans are a little bit conflicted. How much were you when they got the... Especially when they got, go, when they got down inside the 10, you were hoping that they would go for overtime and then lose in overtime because the way they were playing was already a win to me, like for what our purposes are for the development of the franchise, you know, draft pick, draft status... I felt myself now, did I feel, I, I was overjoyed with the win. But at the same time, I was like, couldn't they have just, you know, tied the score and lost in overtime? That, I, I didn't have, I did have that going through my head. That was the conversation with me and my son and my son-in-law when we were watching the game on Sunday. Yeah, and but I mean, you also mentioned it earlier, right? There's literally, just literally not a, there's just not anything that, overcomes or, or changes a winning culture and that's and that's where this overwhelmingly is more important than the opportunity to draft mark or, or i guarantee is a very strong word but because unless you're drafting first right there's no guarantee but to have a great opportunity to draft marvin harrison jr but with this team, and to be fair, with, again, something that you and I talked about on the show, the best wide receiver draft class I can remember in the last decade since 2014, like, 
guys like Malik Neighbors and Rome Madunze, who put on a show last night, th- these dudes are are legitimate like wide receiver ones in most draft classes. They just happen to be in the draft class with Calvin Johnson, right? <laughs> right? Like it's like oh oh well maybe we don't get Calvin Johnson. Maybe we don't get the guy who ends up being the freakiest of freaks in the history of, of the NFL. Right. But on the flip side, maybe you get another really good wide receiver, right? Maybe you get um, a, a guy that ends up being incredibly talented and gives you a great career. And, and that would be okay. Um, yeah. So you don't get the next, Larry, you don't get the next Calvin Johnson where these guys just put up massive numbers forever. Um, at the same time, it's not like that means that you won't get a good player. And and the flip side to that, the other the other side of that coin is um, you need a little bit of everything outside of maybe uh, outside of maybe quarterback and maybe safety. So you know. Now maybe your options are a little wider. You know, do you want to take wide receiver two or tackle one? Or do you want to take the best defensive player in the draft? Because God knows that defense needs as much help as it can <laughs> oh possibly <gosh>. get. Uh, <laughs> we did tell and we're gonna talk about it in the offseason. Like running back, pretty they're they're pretty okay. Quarterback, they're pretty okay. Tight end, yeah, you like where tight end is safety okay everywhere else literally just talent put give talent everywhere right well and the crazy thing is too and this is what should excite people okay obviously this this um regime did not draft trey mcbride but this coaching staff has gotten the most out of trey mcbride uh, however this regime made it a priority to go get elijah higgins and Boy, does Elijah Higgins look like a guy that can play in the NFL. Yeah. I, I, man, after after that terrible drop in the Houston game, <laughs> right? Like, all of a sudden, you're like, hey, this this Elijah Higgins guy is not too bad. Um, you know, and, and again, this like he regime. Can, he can be Dan Arnold without the expectations of Dan Arnold. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, this regime didn't go get Greg Dorch, but man, this regime sure knows how to use Greg Dorch in a, in a good way. And so I think, I think that right there, I, I, and, and let's be honest. I mean, a lot of it is just PTSD, right? Like we, as we, as fans, especially you and I have watched enough Arizona Cardinals football to be like, Oh man, just get the second pick. So you don't screw it up. Right. Like just don't, don't give yourself the chance to screw it up and and pick the wrong guy and you know like just go get the sure thing like when you have a chance to get Marvin Harrison Jr. who that makes it a lot easier because you well, can't screw up Marvin Harrison Jr. right well and, and, and here's so, the thing does this not sound almost like if we take it back here is this almost like the exact conversation we were having about Will Anderson it was, and and by the way, Will and, Anderson, and, complete freak. Like, <laughs> well, and it's like we said, just stretch Will Anderson. He's a home run pick, but somehow they managed to manage it in a way where they still got a player. Like, let's 
Do you know what? Uh, so Hollywood Brown was live tweeting the game because obviously he's hurt. But you, do you know what they call Paris Johnson? Or at least what Hollywood calls him? No, what? All Pro P. Oh, nice. Yeah, they, and he, they, they I mean, all see a great player in the making in Paris Johnson. Well, well, you know what's really fun about that, Jess, and 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 this goes to what you're saying. What's really fun about that is like this dude is literally he played four snaps at right tackle at Ohio State. He played right. He played a ton of snaps at right guard. He played a ton of snaps at left guard. Played a ton of snaps at left tackle. But he played four snaps at right tackle at Ohio State. So he basically has never played right tackle, and he's he's literally looking like a guy that is a future all-pro right tackle. And so that just opens things up, right? Just like, all right, you're sitting at four, and Marvin Harrison Jr. falls to you. Okay, nobody's going to be like, oh, you know, like, what's the dilemma? No, you, you, at that point, you just take the best player in the draft at a huge position of need, right? Like, it, it, it tailor-made. But let's say, you know, and, and we'll talk about it, but like all offseason, obviously, but, you know, let's say the Bears make that move and they go down to three, right? And and so the, the Patriots go up, they get the guy they want, and then the commanders take another quarterback. And so now you're sitting at three and the Bears are going to be like, hey, we're sticking with Justin Fields. We're going to go get Marvin Harrison Jr. So now you're the Cardinals. You say, okay, we're open for business. Come get Jaden Daniels. Maybe there's, uh, you know, now with how Michael Penix has been playing, like maybe there's this market for Michael Penix. Who knows? But you come get QB3, right, at number four. And, you know, we talked about this the other day, but like at five, six, probably not six, but five, seven, nine, and you say, okay, we have Malik Neighbors, we have Rome Adonze, we have Joe Alt, and we have uh, – Olamanu Fashanu, and then you've got whoever you want to put it as defensive player one. Again, defensive player one, not edge, not tackle, not corner. No, defensive player one are all on the board. So you can go down to nine and just sit there and be like, whoever falls to me, that's who I'm taking. Because it doesn't, I mean, hell, you could take Brock Bowers, who some people thinks one of the best players in the draft. Like, you just you you are just setting yourself up for that, and so, like I talked about last week, getting that second pick was was big because you kind of controlled the draft, right? Like you could make the pick for Marvin Harrison if you wanted it, or you can get a king's ransom. But at four, you still have those same options. The only thing you don't probably have is is the option about Marvin Harrison. But if Marvin Harrison goes in the top three. And people grade out Jaden Daniels as the rumors are starting to percolate that they're talking about him in that in that capacity. Then everything else is on the board, right? So so if if MHG goes in the first three picks, then you can make that move at four however you want to. Oh, you want Jaden Daniels? Okay, give me everything you got, right? Um, or another team moves up and the Bears make a double trade down, something that's not out of this realm of possibility, right? Because they're going to stick with Justin Fields. And now MHG's at four. That Then again, you're on, you're on the decision-making. You're not going to trade unless you're making a move like you did with Will Anderson last year where you're like, look, we'll forego Will Anderson to get a one next year. Now, at some point, you need to cash in on those those those, you know, those lottery tickets, right? Like you need to 
you need to stop buying more lottery tickets and, and cash in, but it, it still is that option. But I, I don't think it completely changes everything, especially with how the rumors are going with Jaden Daniels. That's the, I think that's the big key right now, because if you go to like mock draft database, and this is one of the bigger issues with the website itself, not a knock on them. They do a fantastic job, but you know, it's just, it is data. They they just input data. But if you go to mock draft database, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is not in the first round. And the reason why is because there's no consensus on where he's going now. But the consensus top three right now, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. So at four, you literally are open for business or you take the best player in the draft. That's that's not a bad position to be in if you're the Cardinals. And you won a game. Yeah, totally. Let, let's talk more about that. Coming to next on the Rise of Syria podcast, Mr. Cardinal Stock. Let's talk about their draft status, where they're standing now, what we need to see happen in week 18. That's coming to next on the Rise of Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, Mr. Cardinal Stock on the web. That wonderful work that the Cardinals did in week 16 to end up with the number two pick in the draft and, and, you know, the Patriots winning that game against the Bucks. I mean, the Broncos, uh, all for naught because the Cardinals went and won their fourth game, tying them with the Washington Commanders and New England Patriots, thus making them the fourth pick in the draft. And so you go into week 18. They can finish, best case scenario, number two. Worst case scenario would be number seven. And the first thing, and we'll talk about this on the preview show, is, you know, as much as I thought that the Cardinals were going to get, will be would be dominated by Seattle, I'm looking at Seattle's last several games, and the strength that they had in their rush defense uh, early in the season is gone. And to see what Pittsburgh did to them over the weekend and what the Cardinals have done over the last few weeks with the run game, that Seahawks game is very winnable um and so you could be looking at a fifth win which if they do win a fifth game then you're in the territory of the titans and the chargers and the giants all of whom all have five wins and you look at this and are all complete wild cards about <laughs> what they're going to do as well. Right. You look at the, the Titans are going to host the Jaguars. Um, I don't know. I mean, the Jaguars need that game to win the title, to win the division title. Okay. They, they need that game. So they're going to be locked in. Um, so Titans, you know, you can't expect them to win. The Chargers are at home against the Chiefs. Uh, the Chargers have basically, you know, mailed in their season. And then the Giants host the Eagles. Now, th- I think of all those of those three five-win games, I think the Giants game is the most likely to have an upset because, you know, the Eagles' defense isn't good right now. And the Giants have been, with Tyrod Taylor, surprisingly competitive. But, you know, it would work out if they if the cardinals win if the cardinals win then you'd hope that at least one of those three teams would win as well so they don't go for this space of two weeks from the second pick to the seventh pick not that the seventh pick is a bad spot to be but you take away a little bit less of your flexibility 
it does change a lot. And so there's two scenarios that we need to watch. Obviously, the first one is the Cardinals, but there's there's a couple scenarios that we need to watch. Number number two, the big one, the Houston Texans. They're currently picking 17th, so that car that that pick folds to the Cardinals, right? Go Colts because yeah. if so, the Chiefs, if the Texans win postseason, they're in. They win, they're in. Yeah, it, it it's as simple as that for them. So so the so a couple games we need to watch is obviously the, it's a double. This the Seattle game is a double edged sword because Seattle is at eight and eight. If Seattle wins, they go to nine and eight, uh, and that'll push Houston. Theoretically, Houston losing in this scenario that'll push Houston down. Um, Cincinnati is eight and eight. They get the Cleveland Browns. I don't see them winning that game. So, so we're now we're still sitting at you know best case scenario. Cardinals lose. Um, Texans lose now, or Cardinal. Sorry. Yeah, Cardinals lose, Texans lose, Seattle moves up, Houston's down to 16. So now you're at, let's just say for easy math, 4 and 16. The next one's, you know, Denver. I don't know what Denver's doing. Does anybody know what Denver's well, doing? Well, and the same thing with the Raiders. It's <laughs> Right. They're sitting at 7 to 9. Now, I, I did... <laughs> I, I was I was sweating that game as one of my underdog picks because I thought honestly I thought they would beat the Colts, and I did too. Down, they and, got down twenty three to three. I'm like, dang! But they came back and covered. It was plus three and a half. They lose by three. Thank you, Raiders. Well, and what's crazy about the Raiders and and it's it's so much. It kind of goes to what we're talking about with earlier with Kyler, right? Vibes are such a thing. If I told you that that Antonio Pierce has only won one more game than Josh McDaniels, you'd be like, what? <laughs> but but McDaniels was three and five and Pierce is four and four. But doesn't aren't the vibes completely different, right? Yes. Like you're like, oh <laughs> wait, wait a second. They're 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 I thought they were terrible. That's what that's what everybody told me. But you know Again, sometimes vibes are more important than than anything else. Uh, the Saints, the Saints are somehow, some way they could win uh, their freaking division. Right, they're they're either in the division or not in the playoffs. They take on the Falcons, so that is a game. Again, assuming Houston loses to Indianapolis, that's a game that can get you up. So now, a Seahawks win. A Saints win, and that coin flip of Denver. But let's say a Denver win, that gets you to fourteen. Again, I don't think the Bengals are going to win that game. I, I'm not going to say there's no chance, but it feels very no chances, right? Like it feels <laughs> very like it's not going to happen. So I think the highest you can look at is fourteen. So obviously, if the Cardinals beat the Seahawks now you're at 15 so so you go from 17 to 15 with that Texans pick um and and then that becomes the like okay how do you want to play that like do you want to have the ammunition that if you fall down to seven with a win um you have 
some ammunition to move up, right? So now seven and fifteen probably gets you to 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 four if you need to go up there to get if you if you really want Marvin Harrison Jr. If you're like, we gotta have this guy. Um but you know, seven, I listed the names. Obviously, obviously everything's gotta actually happen before we can, you know, know what's happening. But again, you go off the big board, right? You just just the big board itself. Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously, no brainer. Everybody's gonna jump on that. Malik neighbors. I don't think you and I have any issues if that's where they end up going, right? Um Brock, so that's two players. Sorry, that's two players. Brock Bowers. I think out of the guys that are the guys, Bowers is probably my least, like the last guy I would take. I, I don't know how you feel, but that's how I feel. Um, Olufashanu, right? So now that we're at three, uh, Olufashanu, great left tackle prospect. Okay. Joe Alt, my personal offensive tackle prospect one, great tackle prospect. So we're at four guys. Uh, Roma Dunze, I think he's going to go top 10. I think he is basically a lock. He's a, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Um, kind of everything the Cardinals need in a, in a wide receiver, right? Like not a, not a bad spot, not a bad fit. So that's five guys. And then obviously the last one would be the, the defensive end out of, or the edge player out of UCLA and, and, Laiutu, Latu, uh, you know, so that's that's six guys. All right, so so getting to seven, while now you're at, you're kind of beholden to the other teams in front of you. There's still six guys that I can walk out of that top seven from, and just feel like I hit a home run. That I mean, a plus draft from the get go. And by the way, all positions of need too, right? Like every single one of those guys, you're like got a great player out of his, like you don't feel like in this instance where you're going, all right, should we, should we take, you know, the fourth guy at this position or should we re, you know, or should we take a inside line? You know, like you feel like, Hey, we're getting a bedrock player at a position of need on a team that lacks talent at these positions. Like that's, that's a home run. And so, yeah, not, I mean, obviously as we've highlighted earlier, we're always going to cheer for, for wins first off, Yes, but, but if they're going to lose, this is the time to do it. And I still think that if they lose, if they lose this weekend, I think the number three pick is very, very, very possible because the Patriots are hosting the Jets. Right. The Patriots don't lose to the Jets. Yeah, and that's, you know, the Because the, the Commanders, game. the Commanders beating the Cowboys I think is is highly highly unlikely, especially since Dallas is staring down a division title. Right, thanks <laughs> thanks to your Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Um let's just be honest, the game that that cost the Cardinals the chance to draft top three was was the Commanders not completing the compact comeback against the Jets uh, two weeks ago. If if the Commanders win that game, the, well, the win doesn't matter, right? You're still sitting at three. It, yeah. It's locked in. It is what it is. And then you still, like you said, have a chance to go to two with a win, man. That would have been crazy, right? 
but the commanders are, are going to move on from Ron Rivera. They're, they're a crap show for a reason. And they're probably moving on from Sam Howe. <laughs> I mean, they can't not, it can't be probably at this point. Like they just got to, like, it's got to be over, man. Right. Like you can't, you can't bench a guy. And reluctantly and, start him again after Jacoby Brissett. I, and I've heard, and I heard a funny meme about, I saw a funny meme about this is like they named Jacoby Brissett the starter and then he sees the 49ers defense and then he goes, nope, the hammy during yeah, the midweek exactly. of the week. <laughs> I know, right? That's so true too. Poor guy. Um, you know, and I'm looking at it and, and like I said, we're going to get into these prospects. Like it's going to happen. We're going to spend months and months. We're going to spend more time on the prospects than we are the free agents, which happened first. Like that's just how one, because the pool is so much bigger, but two, you know, it's it to be fair and to be completely open one, it's easier to talk about. And two, it drives clicks. People love the conversation. Like, when Jess and I start talking about the uh, the thirty one year old free agent left guard, people are going to be like, "Yeah, next." <laughs> but when we talk about when we when talk we about talk- the fourth round prospects hit the deep cut, the small school fourth round center, they're like, "Yeah, we want to yeah. know about him." Yeah, the the guy that's going to be the thirty one year old free agent in in seven years, and you're going to be like, "Why are you spending so much time on this guy?" <laughs> but but you know. If, just to bring up the name one last time, because I, I feel like the consensus one, two at wide receivers, obviously Marvin consensus one is Marvin Harrison. It feels like the consensus two, my number two as well. Malik neighbors, phenomenal player going to get Justin Jefferson comps rightfully. So he's a, he is a freak, freak, freak of nature. Um, has a lot of Jefferson in his game. But I'm telling you what, man, the more I I watch of, of Roma Dunze, the more I got, you know, to know his game. Obviously last night was was just huge, but he really fits the bill of what they need as a wide receiver one, um, just as much of as a Marvin Harrison. And it's it, that's not to take away anything from Marvin Harrison. You know, one of the best prospects I've ever, ever seen. Um, but I mean, this guy, Roma Dunze is listed at six, three and 205 pounds. He's probably going to come in at six, two and probably 200 pounds, which is not bad, right? Like that's still a big target, but you're talking about a guy the last two years at Washington over 1100 yards last year, seven touchdowns, and then over 1500 yards and 13 touchdowns this year. So another big body long-armed elite downfield and outside weapon maybe a better fit if that makes sense maybe a better fit for what the cardinals and kyler murray especially need um at that x receiver position uh you know kind of a souped up version of michael wilson if you will uh and odunze is going to get comps thrown out all over the place i haven't done enough digging into his athletic testing to give you something i'm comfortable with yet but like if he's if he measures in over 6'2 and 200 pounds like you're not gonna hear again just like last year where we were like will anderson jr is the best player in the draft i i'm going to before this all process even starts marvin harrison jr is the best player in the in the 2024 
draft. There's not a doubt in my being that he is the best player. However, Roma Dunze is not as far off as as people think. And and where last year Will Anderson didn't have an equal at as an edge rusher, you know, um, Marvin Harrison has elite company right behind him. And that's what the difference is in this situation. You know, if you're if you're able to pick from the a coin flip for most people, left tackle or you know, a guy in, in neighbors or on Dunze who fit the bill of what the Cardinals need at wide receiver. Uh, like those are, those are winning opportunities that you just don't see very often. So again, we're never going to lament a, a win, but I think it's less of an issue this season, especially like not to throw shade or anything like that, but there's not going to be a Derek Brown who's, Turned into a nice player, by the way, a, a nice player. Not probably not worth where he went, but a, a, a good enough player. And or in as I, Isaiah Simmons in in this situation where you're going to be like, oh, they just didn't have the chance to pick that guy, right? Um, I think any of these guys are going to be very, very good pros for a long time. Coming up next on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move on to the final segment where we talk about what Jonathan Gannon said about Kyler Murray. That's coming up next on Rise of Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. You can't always believe what a head coach says. And apparently, if you're Josh Dobbs, you also can't believe what Jonathan Gannon says. Um, if you recall the story about Josh Dobbs, how they told him, hey, you're not going to get traded. Uh, I mean, we still like you for next year, and then immediately the next day you're getting traded. But uh, on the radio, and I think I think you and I have felt that this was always going to be the case, that as much as the narrative was coming into this offseason and into this season, the Cardinals were never planning on moving off of Kyler Murray. That was never in the plans because the organization believes in him. The coaching staff, Jonathan Gannon, took the job. He was a huge Kyler Murray fan to begin with, and everything he's seen about Kyler suggests that he's the guy that he wants to lead the team. This is the answer that um, Gannon gave on Burns and Gambo on Tuesday in his interview on Arizona Sports, and he was asked, John, uh, John Gambadoro, asked him, is there any doubt in your mind who your quarterback is going to be next season? He says, there's no doubt. I love that guy. It's not about one guy, but you know I'm a Kyler guy. Being here for a year with him now, I'm more convicted than when I got here. Just going through the process and our connection and developed a relationship with him and it being a little odd. You got your franchise quarterback, and you know he can't play. Just seeing the work he put in and the things that we talked about in the offseason and what he wanted to improve on, what I wanted to see him improve on, I wanted to make sure that stayed strong. He's done everything we ask. I feel like what he's done, the work he's put in to get to this point, the play that type of football that he has in wins or losses coming off a knee injury in a new system, the competitor is, I've been very pleased with him. And the fact that he treated Kyler like he didn't, he didn't protect his offense by and even kind of hand, you know when he does the onside kick he's saying I want the offense to have the ball again 
One, I believe in my quarterback. I believe my eyes the entire game. And what we're seeing is that we, we knew Jonathan Gannon was a huge Kyler Murray fan to begin with. And it's been as I felt would happen. Kyler has taken to the hard coaching and the demands of Jonathan Gannon. I feel that that was the one thing. I think that was the, the thing that Cliff Kingsbury did the least well, was getting the most out of Kyler because I always felt that he was just finally happy to have him and was content to say, my guy's a star, Kyler, do your thing, rather than saying, Kyler, we, we expect this, this, and this from you. And then Kyler is, has always responded to hard coaching, and he's gotten it this year, and he's responding. I don't think, like, for me, there was never a doubt that he that the, the plan was never move on from Kyler Murray. It was always built around him. And I think the way that he's played since his return suggests nothing short of that. Well, I think a lot of it, and I'm interested, I'm interested in your take in this situation. I think a lot of it is that, and we'll never get the the true story, but there was always this odd feeling that there was a battle between the front office and Kyler Murray, which is odd because whether or not people agree or disagree with, with the contract that Kyler received, Kyler also got Jonathan Gannon and Steve Kime extensions, right? Or sorry, that is Cliff, Cliff King. Yeah. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury and, and Steve Kime. I, I've told you before, I, I truly think, based on people I've spoken to, that that Cliff was always kind of like the intermediary, but also was never one to really get involved. He was just kind of like, hey, you guys, you know, you guys figure it out. You guys are both adults and stuff like that. Like, I'm not taking a side in this or, or you know, we're just all here to play football. I'm, I'm going to try to try to win football games. Um. And and then it got worse, right? With with whatever the leaks were, whoever the leaks were coming from, uh, and and then you get this group, Monty and Jonathan Gannon, and and it just feels like sometimes there just needs to be honest belief in a guy, and whether or not you you truly believe in a guy is not is neither here nor there right but it feels like that gannon always publicly always 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 is um basically giving praise or or compliments or or giving kyler murray reassurance that hey you're our guy we've got your back you're our guy and and cliff did that don't get me wrong i mean cliff was probably even a bigger fan of Murray than Gannon was or is right. Like, but, but at the same time, it feels like, and this is something we've heard from a number of people uh, inside the building, especially players is that there feels like there's some actual accountability and, and to your point, Gannon's requirement or desire for accountability and work ethic has fed 
into Kyler Murray's as well and really tapped and God forbid, and I don't ever, you know, mean this in a negative way, but like maybe that injury needed to happen for him to mature as well. Right. To see, because we've, we've, I mean, from what like, you and true I adversity, heard. true adversity that he has right. to, to buckle down and do more. Like, there's still things about this game that I wish he did a little bit better, but he oh, did 100%. really, he did really lock in with this. Like, you know, Cliff, there was Larry Fitzgerald would never say that he said it, but he told, he apparently talked about it to other veteran players. It was, I believe, it was former Packers receiver James Jones that. Um, came out as a reporter, as an analyst on TV, and spoke about what uh, Fitzgerald was frustrated about, the way they rolled out the red carpet and basically just said, Kyler here, rather than uh, making him earn it. And so there was a level of, they, they created a level of entitlement, of expectation, where he kind of ran the show when he hadn't uh, done anything. And we did hear other concepts and this came from Larry Fitzgerald as well on a, on a Monday night football pregame show that perhaps the suggestion that that Kyler in the meeting room would try to be or come off as trying to be the smartest in the room and we sort of suggested that based on what we saw from his play that he ne- didn't necessarily believe in the plan per the game plans exactly that that click Kingsbury put together because he was had the freedom at the line of scrimmage to change things it would often change things as opposed to Colt McCoy who took the game plan and says okay ball out ball out ball out ball out Kyler saying no we need to get the ball down the field and that led to things so because he was given the latitude to do it and was not reined in of course with that firm belief in himself, he's going to do that. But now he was given some good direction and coaching. It's been, it, I, you know, I thought that he would thrive under Jonathan Gannon. We still need to see more. But I think the the mentality that Gannon has for compete, 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 I think that resonates in Kyler's soul to do exactly what he, to, to become the type of player that, that, everyone believed he could be yeah and that's that's where it's at um that's where it's at right now right is that there just seems to be a mutual respect and belief in each other um i will say this too i think for kyler and and i'm not overly familiar so i don't want to i don't want to state this as fact but i'm not overly familiar with lincoln riley i I don't know if you are either um with his personality or things but he seems like a genuine generally more positive type of guy as well it doesn't surprise me that that that's who kyler thrives under right um call it entitlement call it you know not call it being babied call it whatever you want i don't don't really care but the generation now and and i can say this as a coach yes we're getting to the generation raw yeah this is where we are now old men on our lawns right now yeah 
but but I can say this as a coach, genuinely, is that the way I coach my soon-to-be 18-year-old and the way I coach my now 12-year-old when they were the same age is vastly different. And I'm getting the same results. It's not like I'm like, it's not like when I was coaching my older son that we were a, a bad team. We were still competing and winning championships. But I've had to learn that there are so many kids now that cannot take coaching or direction that when it comes from a place of negativity and and again whether you and i agree with that i mean because how we were raised you know whether it was in the classroom or on the sports field how we were raised by by that generation of men was not it was never like hey you made a mistake it's okay you'll go get them next time you know it was what the hell are you doing you know we've been over this a hundred times how can you make that and and that's just you know, there was not a lot of soft parenting. I think, is that what they call it now? Soft parenting? So, I, I don't Gentle remember. parenting. Gentle or... parenting. Thank you. Thank you. And and genuinely, and I'm, I'm saying this from a place of, of I've learned, and so it wouldn't surprise me if that's how Kyler responds more. It's not that you're not, like you said, it's not that you're not asking them to compete. It's that you're putting them in competition with a positive spin of like, let's go work, right? Like not a fear of failure because if I fail, I've let everybody down, but instead you're going, Hey, like that mistake was okay because we can do this now, or, or now we know this for next time. Uh, and that's how you have to learn it. And and again, whether, whether people agree with me or not, I, I genuinely don't care because I'm telling you from living it, that is how it works. And and it is it is crazy to see it. I, I mean, it is crazy to see it. And to see that Kyler responds so well to Gannon, um, like you said, from from all aspects, but especially the competitiveness of what he likes about Gannon. I think that is why you're seeing such a positive outcome. And again, there are a lot of a lot of different things that we would like to see Kyler continue to improve on. But if you go back to that Eagles game, there were throws made in that game where you're just like, "Holy cow." And not not even the 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 one that stands out the James Conner one right, but there were throws made on, on those last in that second half that you're like he's starting to feel comfortable and 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 get it, and if it takes that type of positive, active, you know, competitive environment, then so be it. It's it, you know, and again because we're covering the team, so we've seen the different egos and 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 men involved in how they coach and you know do you or i think that kyler would thrive under bruce arians not sure i'm not sure he could publicly be called out i'm not sure he could he could deal with how arians react or or his off 
off-the-cuff demeanor at times. Not that he couldn't be coached hard by him, but I, I'm just not sure with the accountability board and, you know, those type of public things that Tyler would thrive in that situation. We know DJ Humphreys didn't, right? No, he, and was, DJ, he, was, not, <laughs> he was not a fan of B.A. And, and so, to so you know, there's a good chance, and we'll never know, but there was a good chance that Kyler wouldn't either because it just, you know, it just wouldn't fit. But, and, and, you know, the easiest way to look at it and is that you have, you have probably the greatest coach of all time in Bill Belichick, right? That is just, I mean, it, he's not the same guy. They're not the same team. And it's because a lot of guys can't play in that. And now you're seeing, I don't know if you saw that the other day, but now you're seeing like kind of the mask come off from X players too, right? Where people are taking shots at Belichick or Belichick and, and things like that. And it's just, we're in a stage where a guy like Gannon, like a guy like Kyler probably needs a coach like Gannon to be six, to reach his full potential um, if if it's going to happen, and we've seen it with you know that in Gannon's personality. Let me put it this way: you know, I'm not saying he is, but Gannon's personality is very similar to Andy Reid's, right? Like they're very jovial, they they're very positive, they're very player oriented in all that they do, and and you know sometimes it can go too far, and and we'll see if that's the case with the Chiefs and kind of how they're faltering this season. But for the most part, it just seems like guys like Reed, guys like Shanahan, guys like McVay, that they're, they are the ones turning into the best coaches. Well, I mean, Reed's been one, but they're the best coaches in the league, and their personalities are very similar to Gannon's, right? They're, that, that, that personality of upbeat positivity, um, that plays well a lot of times. Whether or not, again, whether or not you and I agree with it, doesn't matter. Does it? Like it, it genuinely doesn't matter whether or not you and I think that's the best way to do things. But it is how it seems like Kyler's getting by, and what's making him buy in as much as he has, and vice versa. What is exciting Gannon about it? Because he's seeing a guy for the probably the, what the first time since year three really buy into what's happening yeah it's been and and it just gives us the confidence moving forward we already we already have discussed the reasons why it wouldn't make sense to move on for kyler but now and we do have to point out cliff kingsbury did say that josh rosen is our guy and 100 percent. And, and josh and jonathan gannon also said i'm not going to be anywhere but here referring to the eagles in the off season, and he said to Josh Dobbs he would be traded. So coaches say whatever, but Gannon's actions also suggest a complete belief in Kyler Murray. And if there's one thing that that Gannon has also preached is and talked about since being hired is the need to be in alignment from top to bottom in the organization. So if he is publicly stomping is stumping um, for for Kyler Murray it's because that is the belief in the building because he's not going to uh, philosophically 
he's not going to say those things publicly if that isn't also the belief in the building. Right. And and that's the thing is I really truly do believe that this is the most aligned we have seen things since 20 that 2013 through 2016 run. I'll, I'll you know, I'll forego 2017 because I think people started to have their own agendas at that point, but that 2013 to 2016 run where it seemed like for better or worse, BA and Steve Keimer on the same page about what was needed on the team, what they needed to do going forward and, and the best way to attack it. Uh, you know, and we'll see if, if that works itself out um, in the long term, because, you know, we're seeing a lot of high praises and a lot of hope giving positivity for a four and 12 team at the end of the day. I mean, that's, what's funny to like, just kind of go back and, and think about, right. Is that all of this about a, a four and 12 team. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but it's a four and 12 team that's going in the right direction. And with that, we'll wrap up this edition of the rise of Red podcast, best of Cardinals talk on the web. This is episode five Oh three. And that is Seth Cox and I'm Jess Root. So we can, you can expect to hear us again later this week as we will preview. We'll do our preview picks and prop bet show with the, about the Seattle Seahawks season finale. I'll see if I can't also get someone on to, to preview the game as well. Uh, someone from Seahawks Wire, perhaps Tim Weaver, who was on earlier this season, or Cole Musgrove, who, who also has done that for us. But with that, that's Seth Cox. I'm Jess Root. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back in a couple of days. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise Up Red Sea, Be Red Sea Red, and of course, Rise Up Sea Red. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.